Thank you for coming to our service this evening. These services on a Good Friday are perhaps the hardest service gatherings to come to. We usually come to a worship service and feel uplifted by our meeting together. But this evening we are confronting the prejudices and actions which saw Jesus put to death on that first Good Friday and still afflicts us, afflicts us each day. But we find solace in these words which are recorded in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34 when Jesus says to the people then and to us now, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Our reading this evening is taken from John chapter 19, beginning at the first verse. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, may our hearts and minds be focused on you on this day and evermore. Amen. On Good Friday, we come together and this morning we had a, quite a joyous experience with children and young families. They gathered together in this building and we, we made crafts and we shared many chocolates and sweets together and 
There was quite a joyous atmosphere, yet as we gather together this evening, we gather together in the understanding that Good Friday is not a day of celebration, but a day of mourning. The Jews are the people who bring Jesus to Pilate. They bring him to Pilate, and they bring him there knowing what they want Pilate to do. They couldn't kill him. They weren't allowed to kill him. In this season of Passover, one of the most important things was cleanliness. Making sure that you were clean, making sure that you were pure, making sure you had the right presence to come before God in this moment. For them to have killed a man, for them to have stoned him to death, which would have been the normal practice, they were forbidden to do so because of the Passover season. This was such a strict custom that the Jewish leaders weren't even safe to enter into the palace courts to meet with Pilate. That is why we get this scene of Pilate coming back and forth as he goes between a conversation with Jesus and then back out to speak to the Jewish leaders. For them to have entered into the palace would have been breaking their customs. This was a festival of the unleavened bread. You were required to remove anything from your home that was unclean, to remove any leavened bread from your home. If you were to enter a home that had such things present, you were required to make yourself clean and to make yourself pure again. The priests weren't able to come into the courts, but they made their voices heard from the streets. They made their voices heard and they gave Pilate no option. Pilate gives them every opportunity. He offers every opportunity to let this man go. First of all, in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, they offer Barabbas. It's the custom of the time to release a prisoner. And yet they call for the most wicked of men to be freed. The most wicked of men to be set loose. They made a point to say, this murderer, this man, who all of society knows cannot be trusted, we would rather him be on our streets than be under the influence of Jesus. They wanted rid of him that badly. Pilate comes again and says, I find no basis to punish this man. He's committed no crime. And again, they call for him to be punished. So he takes him away. He has him tortured. He has him beaten. He has him whipped and undergone such vicious torture that he has a crown of thorns placed on his head. He is beaten and punched in the face by the guards. Around those times, that beating was uncommon to be lived through. Many people died in that very process. Yet Jesus stood firm, knowing where he was called to go. Pilate once again brings him out to the people and says, I've whipped him, I've tortured him. Look at how I'm mocking him. He stands him up with a crown of thorns and a ripped, torn purple robe around his shoulders. And still this isn't enough. Crucify him, crucify him. The Jewish leaders, to me, get caught up in the details, in such fine details of what is important. They won't enter the palace building. They won't break their festivities or their customs. Yet in doing so, 
in their strict adherence to what they understand to be the law, they forget that they are torturing another being, that they are calling for him to be put to death, that they get held up so much in the details of who they think should be welcome and part of their community, that they forget just what it means to love. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we hear of people passing by on the other side of the road, not wanting to deal with a dead man, not wanting to offer help because they fear of becoming unclean. And again, we see this mirrored in this passage as the fear of becoming unclean or what other people will think of them by entering the courts or by them taking the blood of this man into their own hands. They are so caught up in following what they understand to be their church law, that they forget what it means to truly love people, that they aren't willing to show love in any kind. And the people around join their cries. The people around, who only a couple of days ago shouted, Hosanna, save us, welcome, welcome. We're laying down leaves so not even the feet of your animal may touch the ground. These people too, now join the cries for crucify him, crucify him. And it's easy to judge. It's easy to say that we wouldn't have joined in with those cries. But how guilty are we of wanting it to be a little bit more straightforward? For many people, when they wanted a savior, when they were in slavery or in exile or in any any kind of hardship, they wanted a leader to arrive in on the back of a horse to fight for them, to be in a position of power and authority, and instead they see a man arriving in on a donkey offering peace and love. They don't want this. They want action. And when they don't get what they wanted, they call for his death. Do we listen to the call of Christ because it's what we want to hear? Or do we join others in mocking and scorning him when it's not the way or the path that we wish to follow? The path that Jesus offers is one of love. It's one of a power in the almighty above, not on a power in earthly things, not on a power that Pilate appeared to have, not on the power that the the Jewish leaders seem to have over the community of people, but as power and authority in God and heaven above in creator, redeemer, in all things, the name above all names. It is in that power where Christ knows to put his trust. The people are given many opportunities, many opportunities to let him go, many opportunities for him to be set free. Yet again, they call for worse and worse punishments. I worry that I miss the opportunities that Christ gives me sometimes. I pray every day for opportunities to share my faith. I pray every day for specific people in my life that Christ will give me a chance to be like him and to speak into their lives. Yet, these leaders in the Jewish community are offered chance after chance to do the right thing, and yet they miss it. I have no charges, kill him. I've whipped and tortured him, kill him. Let me set someone free kill him. Sometimes we miss the opportunities that Christ is giving to us. I pray every day for these opportunities. And I pray every day that I hope I don't miss them. Above all, this is 
this is a hardship like no other. It was said at the time that uh, for a Roman soldier to be killed was torture in itself, but that no man should undergo death on a cross. I said on Sunday that Romans were good at three things. Here's a test to see if you were listening and remembered. <laughs> I said that the Romans were good at three things. Building roads, collecting taxes, and killing people. Those were three things that they were masters of. It's why their empire grew. They grew in travel and being able to connect the cities. They collected taxes like no other society before. They became rich and were able to fund those many societies. But most of all, they were a conquering society. They knew how to assert dominance. They knew how to assert power. And they had learned from the societies they had conquered the best way to kill a person, the most horrendous way to kill a person, the most horrendous way that would be such a deterrent that the very thought of it alone, of having to witness it, would put anyone off from committing any crime. That was to nail a man to the cross. That as they were punished, as they faced the judgment, in that moment there wasn't a time to wait. You faced, you faced your, your judgment, the cross was put on your back, and you went there and then to die. Jesus bore that cross. He was nailed to it. He hung there. The most common thing that people die from when on a cross is suffocation. That actually as blood fills their lungs that they must pull themselves up on the very wounds that they are nailed to to take a breath. It is the most dreaded of deaths within society. And as they come, they come to make sure he has died in time. It was against the law for him to have been hanging there after sundown. It would have been against Jewish custom. And so they go to check him. He hangs there with two other sinners, two other men who have committed crimes, and it was their very right to be there. Yet the sinless, blameless one hung beside them. The other two men had their legs broken so that they could no longer pull themselves up to breathe. Yet they go to check Jesus and they know he has already died. They put, a, they put a, uh, a spear in his side and they see that his heart is no longer beating. His blood has begun to separate and water pours out the side. In that moment, they know that it is finished. They know that it is done. And we know for sure that he died. Yes, we will look towards Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. Yes, we will look towards the fact that Jesus conquers death. But tonight, on Good Friday, we remember that he died. We remember that he died for us. My biggest fear is that I forget that he died for me. My biggest fear is that I forget that this very act was for me, for the things that I've done wrong, the things I continue to do wrong. I know that he is blameless, that he did not deserve to be there. Yet for me, he hung there, facing the worst possible death. And he did it for me. I'm going to read John 19 for us again. This is from a translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. Slightly more emotive language, and I hope it's useful for a full understanding of this story. 
And then, as I finish this, we'll join together to sing our next hymn. Then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. And the soldiers also wove thorn branches into a crown and set it on his head and placed a purple robe over his shoulders. Then one by one, they came in front of him to mock him by saying, Hail to the king of the Jews. And one after the other, they repeatedly punched him in the face. Once more, Pilate went out and said to the Jewish officials, I will bring him out once more so that you know that I have found nothing wrong with him. So when Jesus emerged bleeding, wearing a purple robe and the crown of thorns on his head, Pilate said to them, look at him, here is your man. No sooner did the high priests and the temple guards see Jesus that they all shouted in a frenzy, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate replied, you take him then and nail him to a cross yourselves. I told you he's not guilty. I find no reason to condemn him. The Jewish leaders shouted back, but we have the law. And according to our law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Then Pilate was greatly alarmed when he heard that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. So he took Jesus back inside and said to him, where have you come from? But once again, silence filled the room. Perplexed, Pilate said, are you playing deaf? Don't you know that I have the power to grant your freedom or to kneel you to a tree? Jesus answered, you have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. This is why the one who betrayed me is guilty of an even greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to find a way out of the situation and to set him free. But the Jewish authorities shouted him down. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is an enemy of the emperor. So when Pilate heard this threat, he relented and had Jesus, who was torn and bleeding, brought outside. Then he went up to the elevated stone platform and took a seat on the judgment bench. It was almost noon, and it was the same day they were preparing to slay the Passover lambs. Then Pilate said to the Jewish officials, Look, here is your king. But they screamed out, take him away, take him away and crucify him. Pilate replied, shall I nail your king to a cross? The high priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them. So the soldiers seized him and took him away to be crucified. He carried his own cross out of the city to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And they nailed him to the cross. He was crucified along with two others, one on each side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate had them post a sign over the cross, which was written in three languages, Aramaic, <coughs> Latin, and Greek. <coughs> Many of the people of Jerusalem read the sign, for he was crucified near the city. The sign stated, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But the chief priests of the Jews said to him, you must change the sign do not let it say king of the Jews, but rather he claimed to be king of the Jews. What I have written will remain. Now, when the soldiers crucified him, they divided up his clothes into four shares, one for each of them, but his tunic was seamless, woven from the top to the bottom, a single garment. So the soldiers said to each other, do not tear it, let's throw dice to see who gets it. The soldiers did all of this, knowing that they 
not knowing that they fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among them and gambled for my clothing. Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to his cross, along with Mary's sister, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. Then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. Jesus knew his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was nearby and they soaked it on a sponge and put it on the stalk of a hyssop and raised it to his lips. When he sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. Amen. What shall I do then with the one that you call the King of the Jews? Crucify him, they shouted. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers, one with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so who are you going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourselves. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. <laughs> 